0: Space Watchers, I'm Emma, the Editor-in-Chief of Space Watch Global, and this is a new episode of Space Café Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. Hello, Space Watchers, and welcome back. Today, my guest is Trent Trash, the founding director of the Center for Human Space Exploration at University of Arizona, Trent Welcome back on Space Café Radio. It's fantastic to have you. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to see you, uh, especially since our last time in the Maldives.
0: Exactly. It's not the first time that Trent is a guest at Space Café Radio, but today we are not in the Maldives. Trent is in Dubai for COP28, so I ask him to um, just be my guest and tell us what's going on at COP, of course, from a space perspective. So I think, Trent, the first question is like, how come you decide to go to COP28? What does bring you to uh, the Emirates?
1: Yeah, so I am here wearing a few different hats. The University of Arizona, as well as an organization called Solar Space, which is a commercial company that was founded out of a technology developed at the university. We're here to share a few different initiatives, uh, but one of our programs here with Solar Space is actually uh, signing an MOU with the uh, Abu Dhabi Department of Energy, focusing on bringing green energy to the Emirates and specifically concentrated space solar power and concentrate solar power here on Earth.
0: Obviously, COP is an extremely well-covered uh, conference. It's well bigger than the space industry. But the question is, of course, what is our perspective? What is space bringing at COP28? Is, are we letting know our presence? Are we actually driving the discourse? Are we part of this bigger challenge?
1: Yeah, great question. As, as far as space representation here, there are a handful of, of different booths, so... I believe we, of course, have the UAE Space Agency. JAXA was here with some representation, with some NASA representatives. We also had a few commercial organizations producing small sats and constellations. So really what we see here, as far as representation goes at comp is kind of what you'd anticipate in the space industry in regards to remote sensing, Earth-based sensing, CO2 sensing, and so on.
0: Um, In your opinion, did you notice any country or any specific nations that is somehow leading the discourse of space for climate action?
1: I was really excited to speak with JAXA and some representation from from NASA as well on the OCO program, which is a current satellite that's observing carbon dioxide from space. And uh, our capabilities that are currently out there are definitely impressive, and the people that are working on these research projects and research questions around climate are definitely passionate. Now, those projects are only gonna—they're only gonna last for so long. They're only gonna be funded for so long and operating for so long. So, I was curious to start to think about okay, where where does the commercial industry start start to take a step to maybe filling some of these gaps in regards to, to earth sensing? The UK space agency, as well as launching a few other satellites and probes that are they're doing different things in regards to climate science specifically, work we're seemingly looking at methane and and carbon dioxide. So we have those capabilities that are here. And of course, that is what we want to see at at COP is sharing with people what our current national and international capabilities are that are funded through government organizations, and then how commercial companies are trying to step up and and provide solutions as well.
0: You obviously are aware about the fact that somehow there is a bit of Criticism behind the fact that United Arab Emirates, they are hosting COP, and they are also they words, one of the world's biggest producers of, of oil, of fossil fuels. And I think the New York Times highlighted the fact that the president of COP28, the Sultan Al-Jaber, is also the head of which who is the state-owned oil company. Uh, do you perceive uh, this kind of contradiction? Did you notice this? Are there any criticisms? How do you feel about that?
1: Well, it's, it's not an easy question. I do. I think that it's, it's easy to have, have criticisms. I, I definitely believe that where we are currently, we're still reliant on the oil and gas industry and the green economy I, it, it is not to place a place of robustness to provide, let's say, the infrastructure to, to fully transition. And I'm not saying that it's not possible to move in that direction. I, I, I think that it's necessary to do so, but. Again, we need to come to grips with the fact that we still require oil to be a productive society and and maintain robust economies. So I, I see that there are a lot of exciting companies, a lot of exciting processes, energy alternatives that are emerging. But to cut off oil completely, I just, I don't believe would be the smartest move. Look at, look at the Actually, I want to expand it to the space industry too, if you don't mind. Looking at the space Absolutely. industry, RP-1 as a rocket propeller, something that's been used. We see transitions over to methane-oxygen mixtures. People talk about hydrogen-oxygen mixtures as well. There are benefits and drawbacks to, to each one of those types of propellants. Some other countries, for example, or even for smaller rockets, are still using hypergolic propellants like nitrogen tetroxide and hydrazine, which are immensely toxic. We, we do see... Uh, opportunities to become greener uh, as far as propellants go. I know there are commercial companies also working on biofuels as propellants, but I also don't see anybody talking about, let's say, uh, space elevators, for example, and the viability of those types of technologies. Do we see the future of space transitioning away from rockets from Earth into things like space elevators? And maybe we do rocket propellant production in space. You know, some people I, I always think it's worth being skeptical when having these types of conversations because it allows us space to, to continue to explore. And when people do have ideas and we're, we're being creative about solutions, they might not be the right solutions at first glance, but at least we're able to sit down and think outside the box of how to solve you know our perceived problems.
0: So what you're saying is basically the space industry somehow is pointing the fingers at other industries, telling them you should stop using oil. But then when it doesn't reflect on itself and thinking how we can actually stop you is using fuel in a sort of way.
1: Right. And I'll also say something that I was really surprised actually not to see here in the space industry. Is anybody discussing uh, impacts in regards to propellants for, for rockets as it is one of our kind of largest impacts? on the climate. And I've heard people argue in the past that really our emissions compared to the commercial aviation industry are as small as, let's say, 1%. So it might not even seem like it's much of an impact. But I do believe that our ability to go above the troposphere, into the stratosphere, mesosphere, and leave black carbon, soot, and so on, is, is something that I would have liked to see more represented here. I think that uh, the questions that organizations were getting in space were more along the lines of, how do we measure CO2 in the atmosphere? So fairly, uh, I think, uh, elementary questions that I, the larger population is is interested in knowing, especially those who aren't in space. And I think that it would be beneficial in the future. What I would like to see is uh, our community talking about the impacts of space on climate in regards to our emissions. It's- it, it, at least to be able to just share that information and give a contrast to the space industry.
0: Yes, this is a very interesting point, right? The, the our impact, our own footprint is uh, just vaguely measured at the moment. My opinion from following, this is not the first time I heard this, uh, this criticism, which I think is completely fair. The, the, the industry, the space industry usually defend itself saying that it's so small compared <laughs> to the, commercial aviation industry that they don't feel the need to measure it. But yours is a fair point. If we keep increasing the number of launches that at the moment, they are something like once a week, we're going to start to launch heavy rockets in the atmosphere every few months, every few weeks. We should definitely have a, a system to monitor our own footprint. So this is a, a very fair point, Trent, absolutely. So speaking a bit more about this inspiration that you were mentioning, Um, one of the criticisms that has been moved to our industry is that we are a bit passive in a sort of way. We're really not proposing enough projects to tackle directly climate change. Fossil fuel emissions, monitoring, understanding how to create projects that can facilitate a green transition, etc. Among these days that you've been in Dubai... Did you take notes? Did you see any particular space-led project that inspired you that you thought, wow, this is fantastic, we can really make a difference?
1: I, I was hoping that, that there, there would be more opportunities for inspiration, but I, what I saw is, is, is more so, again, as I mentioned earlier, just what we would anticipate as far as climate solutions currently, which is really Earth-based observations from, from satellites. And to me, being ingrained in the space industry, it didn't seem... Like it was anything new. Don't get me wrong. Of course, those who do work on satellites and and observation, whether it's software or 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 creating sensors, they're incredibly smart people and and organizations. And it takes a a heck of a lot of work to get these things done and get them done successfully and impactfully. But it didn't it it didn't seem that there was anything outside of that that narrative that that we're you know sharing with the climate community here.
0: Any commercial company that particularly struck your attention? Something that you were like, ah,
1: this is interesting. Uh, Yeah, I might be uh, a little bit biased here, but solar space, the the project that has evolved out of the University of Arizona, is using uh, and integrating uh, NASA technologies that were developed for a mission to Venus and implementing those technologies to create greener energies. And that's something that gets me really excited. I would say definitely outside of the space world, energy production seems to be one of the tickets towards our success towards combating climate change, whether that's fusion power, which I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for, but then also looking at- It's going to take a while
0: for that. You can keep (laughs) keeping the fingers crossed.
1: (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, but something that when I look at COP and and sustainability in general, right, we we see a lot Mm -hmm. of batteries that are necessary to harbor energy that we're harvesting from, let's say, the sun through photovoltaic, And a lot of times we hear critics talk about the rare earth materials that are necessary to produce those items, right? Again, whether those are batteries or or PV and so on. And what I think is really fascinating about concentrated solar power, and here in the UAE, they have the North Tower system. So where they're using salt basically as a working fluid to capture solar, concentrated solar energy, and then use that for some type of of work and, and energy production. With this solar space project as well, it's basically taking that type of system and scaling it down, integrating this NASA tech that's using really thermal acoustics to produce energy, not only produce energy, but also do, hold on, how to say this? So not only is solar space producing uh, electrical energy, but then they're also able to do cryogenic cooling using the Peltier effect. And with that, uh, with that cooling, able to freeze water, sublimate it, produce fresh water, and leave all the minerals and salts behind. So that gets me quite excited about the future. It, to me, it's just it's it's hitting three nails on the head, right? I mean, when you look at energy consumption too, whether that's heating or cooling for houses, for example, across the world. It has a fairly large impact, and I don't know the number specifically, but we're able to do electricity, if we're able to do cooling, and we're able to do desalination, that's I think three big problems that we can tackle with new types of technologies that are coming out of projects that were developed for going to places like Venus that now we're implementing here on Earth. So just another great
0: oh, potential solution. And that's a nice example how space technology can be applied to Earth problems, definitely.
1: And, you know, I'll expand on that and say, one of the biggest issues that I see and I think people would agree on in our community around the commercialization of space is that you have to have your product, you have to have buyers for that product. If you've created something, but you don't have anybody to purchase it, you don't have a business. And so when we're building things for space without earth applications, I, I see I see organizations having trouble like obtaining funding, for example. And so uh, another great company who's who's not here, who I think should definitely be at cop, is like Helios, for example, being able to produce oxygen out of Regolith. And they have a great earth-based business model from my perspective, to where they're working with the mining industry because they're able to provide a service that makes the mining industry greener. And then that technology is also going to be used for space. So I would like to see more organizations not touting their space capabilities necessarily, because we, we see that across the board with Earth-based observation. But we need companies that are going to have an impact here on Earth that then can be scaled here on our planet and be used off planet. I think that's going to be really important in our transition to not only a greener economy, but then also the future uh, explorations of planet and humans in space.
0: Very interesting, Trent, absolutely. So if I'm understanding correctly, is COP is good, is inspiring. You saw a lot of classic space application, which is Earth observation and satellite images for monitoring. You would have hoped for something a bit more dynamic, like companies that are born potentially as space application, but they can actually have um, a business model here on Earth for some more practical application. Am I understanding correctly?
1: Yeah, I would I would definitely say so. And I think the more of those types of companies that have earth-based economic models that extend past just government buyers, uh, those models I think are going to help people understand and develop new ideas to lead the way into the future.
0: So give space at COP28 a mark from 0 to 10 where 10 is like stunning. We are Leading the way, we're really into it. And zero, as I could have stayed at home and watched television from Arizona.
1: On your, on your scale, I would say that as far as a 10 would go, maybe I'll use the IAC as, as 10, as far as space okay. intensity goes. And here, it's probably about a 2, maybe a 3.
0: Okay, okay. So quite like we could have done more or we're maybe not the center of the debate, let's put it this way.
1: Yeah, and I think through through conversations like this and definitely getting more space people to come to the climate conference as a way how we could have more impact into the future. So I definitely see myself coming back, bringing ideas, bringing companies, bringing connections.
0: Do you think that maybe we should also invite more climate people to our conferences so they can see how we can actually be helpful? Maybe bring in the end users so they can actually help us to bring us out?
1: Oh, definitely. But I think that bringing users to into space as far as those who might need our climate data is, is going to be beneficial. I think we do see that now happening. A lot of times I feel that uh, as, as humans, we get so attached to things needing to change so, so quickly or, or wanting progress to happen uh, at rates that they might just not realistically happen. So as long as we're able to continue to have these conversations, bring in people to space, have space, show face in these larger communities like at COP, then I think that we're, we're doing our part. And we also just have to remind ourselves that it's going to take some time to have an impact.
0: Thank you very much. And with these words, Trent, I think uh, uh, we can close the interview. I'll let you go back to COP28. Thank you very much for being here with me. uh, As usual, a pleasure. And uh, let's catch up at the next conference, (laughs) you and I.
1: Sounds good. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much. You take care. Take care. If you want to keep the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global. Subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Emma Gatti, editor in chief of Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. See you next time. Ciao.